are here for a reason. This, 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 this news just in. We are your news now. Right on radio. For continuous coverage, the latest information, separate fact from opinion. Get the truth. Get the news. You're listening to Right On Radio. You are here for a reason. Good morning, everyone. Uh, To my Canadian friends, happy Thanksgiving to you. Uh, This is going to be a really uh, great show. I love this chapter in Acts. We're going to be covering chapter 27 today. And, uh, well, the word of God is just cool to start with and it's so deep. You can never get to the depths of it in a lifetime. I I think if you studied one chapter, your entire life, you'd never find out everything that God has in it for you. But that is just my speculation, of course, but this chapter could easily be passed by a lot of theologians and a lot of people that, uh, you know, do this for a living because it's, there's not a lot of great spiritual. It's not the sermon on the Mount. It's not, you know, Jesus rebuking the Pharisees. It's, uh, you know, not John the revelator. It's not the story of creation. It's the story of, uh, a journey on a ship and a shipwreck. <laughs> However, I think that there's so many parallels that go along with life in this. And I think we're going to see something about ourselves as we reflect and study this chapter. And I think it's going to show us something about the times that we're in. And in fact, I'm going to at the end of this, because really I just kind of got this revelation about uh, 15, 20 minutes ago. But I'm going to name this, you know, it's Acts chapter 27, but I'm going to call it the Great Awakening chapter. You know, the storm is upon us. Wait till you see why I say it's the Great Awakening chapter. I think it's going to be something that will stick with you for many, many years and give you an example for your life as well. Um because this is a uh, chapter about a storm, it's about a shipwreck. And by the way, just for me, you know, planes, trains, automobiles, ships, I just love everything about them. I love uh, looking into them, cars, motorcycles. I just, I don't know, I have a fascination with transportation, uh, I guess, in some ways. And there's a, a lot that uh, it talks even about the ship itself, which is historically very interesting when you look at uh the ships that they had, you know, 2000 years ago or, you know, minus 50 years sort of thing. And uh, this is quite amazing. Now, if you've ever been on the sea uh, in a storm and, you know, I've only experienced it from the comfort of a cruise ship, but I've been on a smaller cruise ship and, you know, getting 20, 30 foot waves and the boat being tossed about never felt in danger in any way, but it could be very disconcerting. And when you look out into the blackness of the sea when you cannot see any stars or anything. And you have to remember back then they navigated via stars. They didn't have compasses. They didn't have sonar. Well, actually there is an example of, of, you know, I guess a a ancient sonar that they use in this, which I'll describe when we get to that. Uh, But, you know, many people have been swallowed up by the sea And uh, in a big storm like that, it's very unforgiving. And, you know, at this time, it uh, reminds me, and I I think, you know, I like to put myself in their situation. And what would they reflect upon? And I think the Psalms are always very comforting. So I'm risking getting a uh, a, a copyright thing happening here, but... uh, there's one song. Uh, it's it's Psalm 91, and the uh, the singer's name is uh, is Susie Wills. I have seen her perform this live. Uh, her story is incredible. 
she was essentially a prostitute, a drug addicted prostitute, and God just completely transformed her life. Oh, man, I get choked up just just talking about it, and uh, and I get choked up when I hear this song. So it's just sung so beautifully, and it comes from a a real sense of inner peace. So. Uh, it's a little bit long, I, but I know you're going to love this song. So uh, uh, please bear with me as uh, I play it. it. It's about five minutes long, in fact. Uh, but this is, to me, the most beautiful rendition of Psalm 91 that I've heard. Enjoy. Who dwells in the secret place of the Most High Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I have set my love upon you. I have set my love upon you. I have set my love upon you. And you deliver me.
shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Oh, shoot. I am so sorry. I didn't. I just looked at the chat and and I didn't realize my mic was off. I had turned my mic off so that people would not hear echo during the song. Wow. I guess I'm going to be doing some editing. Well, folks, I just read the entire chapter and uh, well, I'm going to I'm going to have to read it again. And uh, for for sorry for those of you who are here live, uh, for those of you here here on a replay, I will uh, have edited that part out. Wow, my apologies, folks. Well, you know what? I, actually, instead of just reading the entire chapters, it's pretty long. I'm going to just walk you through the chapter. Actually, no, I got to read it. Uh, sorry, I'm making decisions here on the fly, folks. Uh, you know what? I, I What you missed because I was muted is uh, that song, uh, Psalm 91. Uh, I was very thankful that, uh, that it was five minutes long because for about the first three minutes, I was a pretty broken man uh, listening to that. I hope you enjoyed that song as well. Um, yeah. All right. Paul is sent to Rome. Uh, actually, I'll give you the backstory. So just to, so you remember, Paul, when he was in jail, was visited by the Lord. The Lord told him then that he would go not only to Jerusalem, but he would go to Rome. And so Paul knew that. And even though he was warned not to go to Jerusalem, there would be a lot of terrible things that would happen to him, he was not afraid of death and decided that he would go anyways. And now, after being imprisoned for two years uh, and standing three trials, the third one being in front of King Agrippa, uh, King Agrippa says at the end of last chapter that Paul, if he had not requested to go to Caesar, uh, could have been set free. However, uh, Paul had asked to go to Caesar, so to Caesar... Paul will go. So the Lord's promise is being kept here, as Paul can see. And not only is Paul going to Rome, but he's going to have an audience with the Caesar. And the Roman government is paying his transport and even allowing his friends to come along with him. This is astounding. This is astounding. All right. I'm going to have a little drink of water before I read this again. Now, when it was decided that we would set sail for Italy, they proceeded to turn Paul and some other prisoners over to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And when we boarded the Adramitian ship that was to set sail to the regions along the coast of Asia and put out to sea accompanied by the Aristicus of Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. From there we were put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. When we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. When he had sailed slowly for a 
many good many days and with difficulty had a ride off of Sinaitis. Since the wind did not permit us to go further, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off of Salmon. And with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which the city of Lycia. Lassia. When, con when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous since even the fast was already over, Paul started admonishing them, saying to them, Men, I perceive that a voyage will certainly be damaged with great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. The harbor was not suitable for wintering, so the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. When a moderate wind came up, thinking that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, closer to shore. But before very long, a violent wind called Irakilo rushed down from the land, and when the ship was caught in it and could not head up into the wind, we gave up and let ourselves be driven by the wind. Running under the shelter of a small island called Caudia, we were able to get the ship's boat under control only with difficulty. And they had hoisted it up. They used the supporting cables in undergirding the ship, fearing that it might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis. They let down the sea anchor and let themselves be driven along in this way. The next day, as we were being violently tossed by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Since neither sun nor the stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was slowly abandoned. When many had lost their appetites, Paul stood among them and said, Men, you should have followed my advice and not have set sail from Crete and thereby spared yourselves this damage and loss. And yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night an angel of the God to whom I belong, whom I also serve, came to me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has graciously granted you all those who were sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on a certain island. But when the 14th night came about, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors began to suspect that they were approaching some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And a little further on, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. Fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern prayed for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea, <clears throat> on the pretense that they were going to lay out anchor anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless the men remain on the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. Until the day was about dawn, 
Paul kept encouraging them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having taking in nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your survival. Not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. And having said this, he took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of them all, and he broke it and began to eat. All of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. We were 276 people on the ship in all. And when they had eaten enough, they began lightening the ship by throwing the wheat out into the sea. Now when they when the day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did notice a bay with a beach, and they resolved to turn the ship into it if they could. And while casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, while at the same time were loosening the ropes of the rudders. And they had hoisted the foresail to the wind and were heading for the beach. But they struck a reef where two seas met and ran the ship aground on the prow, stuck firmly and remained immovable while the stern started to break up due to the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them could swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from accomplishing their intention and commanded that those who could swim were to jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest were to follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And it so happened that they were all brought safely to land. Man, this was... Uh... I, I want to keep going into chapter 28. It's, it's, it's hard to stop a story in the midst of it. Oh, I, I, I've got to look at chair a little bit more. I'm seeing that I missed, you missed our, my prayer. Um, okay, well, in <laughs> the prayer was anointed. <laughs> Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word. Uh, thank you for the depth of your word. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for the apostles. Thank you for preserving the word of God. Thank you for the historical recount of these events in such detail. Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit upon every single person here that your word is translated into their heart and the message that you want them to hear uh, is translated by the Holy Spirit into each and every person. And I also give the Holy Spirit permission to speak through me to glorify God and to do the Father's will. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <laughs> yeah, I've seen do chapter 28. You know, there's too much here that I, I, I want to cover. And uh, because of the unfortunate mishap um, that happened with my mic being muted. And you know what? <laughs> there's uh, some synergy uh, even in that. You know, I I step in here, I pray, I believe I'm in the Father's will in reading the Word of God and sharing it with you and doing a Bible study. Uh, surely I'm in the Word of God doing this. Does that prevent trouble from coming my way? No. No. If anyone tells you when you become a Christian, your life will become perfect. And if it's not smooth sailing, you're not with God. They're full of S-H-I-T, folks. Uh, their eyes are browned from it. And uh, uh, no, the Christian walk is a challenging one. But the beauty is we have joy through it. Look at when uh, Paul uh, speaks up and they all eat and they feel encouraged. They feel blessed. There's joy in going through these things and we all have storms in our life and if you don't it's part of the human exp human experience saved or unsaved it just has much greater meaning when you're saved so let's uh let's break down 
this chapter a little bit. There is a lot. And again, I'm calling it the Great Awakening chapter. I think you're going to be surprised. I really do how I came to that conclusion. So it starts off here with, uh, you know, Agrippa sending Paul to go to Caesar. So he's assigned to this centurion and the centurion is, you know, uh, we see a lot of centurions in the book of Acts. Um, we see centurions being saved throughout the Bible. The one that had come to Jesus with such great faith. Uh, centurions were, uh, you know, they're in charge of a, of a hundred men sort of thing. And, you know, they got to pick their men. So they were, they had the ability to test character and things like that. And, uh, and this particular centurion Julius, uh, was the one who was in charge of getting Paul, uh, to Rome. So, they, they find the ship and they're going to be putting on it. And what's really, really interesting is you got to remember Paul is a prisoner. Um, but in verse three, Julius, the next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. So listen, I know you're a prisoner, Paul, but you know, go ahead, go just take off with your friends and uh, spend a couple days, relax, get cleaned up. And, you know, the ship's going to sail two days from now and be here at this time. Now, if Paul had escaped, the centurion in Roman law would have had to suffer Paul's <laughs> sentence. But he lets Paul go. Of course, I think, you know, a couple years of getting to know Paul uh, and I don't know how long Julius had known of, but he certainly probably knew of the story, knew that Paul was actually eager to go. And he granted him time to go. Unheard of, folks. And uh, not only that, but he allowed Paul to bring his friends on the ship with him. Now, think about this. When ever on a prison ship does the, you know, the, the chief officer say, no, no, your friends can come along. That's cool. Yeah, they, they want to go to Rome too. Why shouldn't they have passage? You're going, why not bring them? This is incredible what God is doing. And the seas are obviously danger. Uh, and it gives a clue of the time that's happened here. So it's right after the fast. So, uh, you know, this is probably, you know, going. it's going into October. Uh, and the seas are very, very rough. The sea is cold, obviously. And they are setting sail. And their plan is, it says, it's gonna, they're going to stay close to the coast. Um so you're not going to go, you know, the direct route as the crow flies, you know, just navigating by the stars because the sea is wild. And these ships, you know, they're, they're wooden ships, folks. These, these ships sieve water, like water will come in. Part of being on a ship would constantly be carrying water out because these weren't like watertight sealed ships like we have now. And, you know, waves will come crashing over and into the ship. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff. So it's very, very dangerous at this time, but they had great difficulty. Uh, so they were sailing under the shelter of Crete. So they're kind of trying to hide behind an Island and avoid the big, big waves of the, the sea and, you know, have a little bit of shelter. Um, but then after considerable time had passed and we don't know how many days that is, but the voyage had now become dangerous. Uh, and this is where it says is even the fast was over. And Paul started admonishing them saying to them, no, this is a prisoner. And he's saying to, you know, the captain of the ship, the pilot of the ship, the centurion, the soldiers, go on, man, uh, this isn't good. We, we shouldn't stay here. Uh, uh we should stay here. You know, you go out there, there's going to be 
a great amount of damage and a great a lot of uh, loss. And you have to remember, these are cargo ships. So uh, the, it isn't a passenger ship. There's passengers on it. In fact, 276, as it's mentioned in the end of the chapter. However, uh, this, is, this is a ship carrying grain. And they're carrying grain uh, into Italy, obviously, because that's where the ship is destined to go. So if a ship, you know, the ship owner, he only gets paid if his cargo arrives there. And for him to risk a ship and the cargo, it's a huge risk. And uh, but you know, uh, they're thinking Paul's a prisoner, and why would uh, why would they listen to Paul? Well, Paul, I, where is it? I think it's in Corinthians that Paul says, you know, he was shipwrecked three times. You know, Paul's done a lot of travel on the seas, so Paul actually, well, Paul knows about everything. <laughs> it seems. Paul's just a really smart guy. Uh, but this is an interesting thing. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than what was being said by Paul. And, you know, listen, uh, you know, you would think the captain of the ship is the most experienced person. It's, it's reasonable for the centurion to make that decision. And it says the harbor was not suitable for wintering. So the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. I got to make a point here. Folks, there's a lot of talk about uh, democracy. And the majority should rule. You know, if you look, that was never, that's never how God would set up a government. That's how man has set up government. And although, you know, the United States probably has the, the greatest form of government in the world today, well, uh, in principle, the way it was designed, democracies really don't work. And you see that they had this brilliant system and it's already falling apart because uh, no one's actually doing it the way it's supposed to. But when you have such powerful tools like propaganda, persuasion, influence. The people who don't pay attention, who don't pay critical thinking, they just take other people's opinion who they think they trust and make it their own. And so they vote their way. Uh, I think it's clear in scripture, God's way of running government is a theocracy. Uh, it really is to have a king. Uh, because when we go when we live at first in the thousand-year reign and then eventually in all of eternity, guess what? We just have a king. Will there be government underneath him? Yeah. Will you be in charge of a territory? I hope so. But you need someone to be accountable. And, you know, it's easy to say for the majority, just hey, you reap what you sow. And uh, they certainly get that here. All right, my mic is on, right? <laughs> uh, what's I'm sorry, I just got to look in the chat. Um, uh, thank you so much. Uh, beautiful Sunday in the Word. Thanks for all you do. Thank thank you for being here. Look, it's it's uh, it's not me. Uh, I'm I'm here just like you are here. Um, I'm reading the scripture. I'm trusting you're reading along or or listening. Faith comes by hearing, so we're just doing this together. And, uh, yeah, wonderful. Uh, thank you, Misty River, uh, for always reminding people on that note. Please like, share, and leave a comment. It's so important, folks. All right. So a moderate wind came up, and they, had, they thought they had attained their purpose, so they weighed anchor and began sailing for Crete closer to shore. So... Look, the signs are there that gods are with us. We even have a small wind blowing in our direction. <laughs> so they take it as a sign, I'm supposing. And they go off on their way. But before very long, a violent wind rushed down from the land. And the ship was caught in it. 
and not and could not head up into the wind. We gave up and let ourselves be driven by the wind. So they at this point they've stopped even trying to navigate the ship. It's it's impossible. So they just give up and say, okay, wherever this thing is going to push us is where we're going to go. We have no choice, essentially. Kind of scary. And the next day, as we were being violently tossed by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo. So that's how violent this is. And they're throwing, listen, they don't get paid unless they deliver that cargo. But they're starting to dump the cargo over the side. Uh, they want to make the ship lighter. They don't know where they're going to land. Uh, and eventually you see they run into like a reef. And, you know, if they run into a sandbar or something like that, the lighter the ship is, the more likely they can get out of it, right? So um, at this point, you know, we might not get paid, but maybe we can save the ship. But they're not throwing all of it overboard at this time. But they are doing it. And I find it interesting. Uh, the next one is on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So what is tackle? This is like, uh, this is like your, the personal, your bed, for instance, might be considered tackle. Uh, you know, it's ship's equipment, maybe the dining room table, you know, uh, different things like that they're throwing over with their own hands. So they're all, they're really losing hope even here. And they haven't seen the sun or the stars. So they have no idea if they're going in the right direction. They, they don't know. They can't see which side the sun's going on. They can't navigate by the stars at night. Um, and no small storm was assailing us. From then on, all hope of our being saved was abandoned. Have you ever felt that way? That there's just no way out? Have your circumstances been so overwhelming that it's like, man, there's nothing I can do here. I think we've all been there. And, and, you know, maybe you don't think you're not thinking about death. It might not be life-threatening, but <clears throat> perhaps you have been caught doing something and you know that everybody's going to find out about it. Or, you know, and this might have just been a childhood memory because we all have those. You know, you get caught in a lie and the lie got bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, all of a sudden there's something that everyone's going to know you are lying. You know, there's all kinds of things, but... These guys are overwhelmed. And, you know, in light of the situation here, I just want to pass along. It's somewhat of a teachable moment. I wasn't planning on doing this, but there's something that I remember that the, my pastor, Walt, had said to me, and he's my spiritual father. He's the one who, you know, led me in the Lord's Prayer. But he made an analogy. And... The analogy was, you know, every day the sun comes up and then the sun sets and then we have darkness. And metaphorically, if you consider the light good and the darkness bad, but we all will go through darkness. And what happens in this world is no one wants to go through darkness. No one wants to be uncomfortable. Nobody wants to go through that. We want to stay in the light where it's good, where it's comfortable. Are you following the analogy so far? Now, think of the rotation of the earth and how the sun rises and how the sun sets. If you wanted to stay comfortable even though darkness is coming and you know it's coming. And, you know, knowing that the uh, sun rises in the east and it sets in the west, you would want to go west, you know, as fast and hard as you could to stay in the light. 
you know, listen, if I can reach California from where I live, that's three more hours of daylight. And then if I can go from there overseas, I'm going to, I'm going to stay, but eventually the darkness is going to overtake you. And because you ran from the darkness, you're going to be in an ex- in it for an extended period of time because you're still going that time. So now the darkness slowly comes upon you and you're in it for a long, long time. But rather, when the storm is coming, when the darkness is coming, just head into it and face it. Go with God. And as you rush towards the darkness, because now you're going that way, you're heading right into it, you're going to be through it faster than you would have even if you'd just stayed put place. You're going to get through it a lot faster. Face it. Deal with it. Be done with it. Move on. That was a really good life lesson in my life. Verse 21. When many had lost their appetites... So first of all, you got, they lost their appetites. They're being, the ship is being thrown back and forth. This is a violent, bad storm. Um, If you were to eat food, you probably couldn't hold it. (laughs) You know, folks, their seasickness, uh, it can be a real thing, especially if it's enduring and enduring, enduring. Uh, But Paul stood among them and said, I told you so. (laughs) Don't you hate when people do that? But Paul actually kind of infers that. Men, you should have followed my advice and not sent sail from Crete and thereby spared yourselves this damage and loss. But Paul doesn't actually say, I told you so. He uses that as a prelude. By the way, has he earned some credibility? Was he right? Of course he was right. But he uses it as a teaching moment and a witnessing moment. He says in verse 22, And yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong interesting word. I belong to God, whom I also serve. Not only do I belong to God, but I serve him. And he came to me saying, don't be afraid, Paul. (laughs) You must stand before Caesar. So you're going to get there, Paul. Don't worry. (laughs) I've already paid for your voyage. And behold, not only did God say that to me, but God graciously granted you and all of those who are sailing with you. So that, that, by the way, indicates that Paul was praying for that all of them would be saved, not one. And there's some other, you know, bad criminals with them, right? There's other people being transported with him. There's a lot of prisoners on the ship. But Paul's praying for them that each one of them would survive. And why do I think Paul was praying that? Because God has graciously granted. So I think, it doesn't say that he was praying for it, but I think it's a pretty clear assumption that you could say he was praying for it. Is there power in prayer? (laughs) Here's more evidence. Therefore, Keep up your courage, men, for I believe that God will turn out what God said. It will turn out exactly as I have been told, but we got to run aground on a certain island. Now, what's really interesting here um, is Paul's a prisoner. You've got the captain of the ship. Is he the one encouraging everyone? You've got the pilot of the ship who's experienced in navigation. 
Is he encouraging everyone? You've got Roman soldiers on here, and you've got a centurion. Luke doesn't recount any of them standing up and being the hero and being the leader. But Paul, the prisoner, is. But when the 14th night came, as we were driven about the Adriatic Sea at about midnight, sailors began to suspect they were approaching some land, and they took some surroundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. Now, <laughs> I had to look this up, and essentially, I think the way that they uh, they did this is they would have like taken a rock or something like a weight and tied a rope around it and dropped it down until it hit bottom. And that way they could see the slope of the sea. Are they coming close to land? Because they can't see any land, but by the depth of the sea, uh, they know if they're getting close to it. So this is, uh, you know, sonar from a, from a couple thousand years ago. And uh, so they find out and they're thinking, okay, we're getting close. So now they're fearing that they might run aground somewhere on the rocks. And the rocks obviously break up the boat and that wouldn't be good for their survival chances. They cast four anchors from the stern and prayed for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship, so they think they're close enough to land they think the ship's going to run aground. It's heavy. You got So a ship is going to be much deeper into the water than their lifeboat is, right? So uh, if the ship runs across the rocks, the ship, the wood, you take rocks and you take wood, rocks win, right? So the, the ship is going to be ripped apart. But if they're in a boat that's much more shallow, uh, they have a better chance of making it to land. So they're saying, hey, well, let's, let's get in the lifeboat here. And so they're uh, they're trying to escape from the ship, and they had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense that they were going to lay out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men remain on the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. This is their great awakening moment. Think about it. Who is in charge here? Who do, do the soldiers and everyone listen to? Paul, the, the one in chains, the... The one who's undergoing criminal prosecution, who's being brought as a prisoner to go to Caesar, is now in charge. And they listen to him and obey him. So now, instead of the government official, instead of a instead of the military, person instead of the captain which is essentially the king of the ship uh the you know the uh the pilot would be vice president you might say they're listening to the prisoner and obeying his commands now these guys were going to escape because they wanted to save their lives but there this man has god's authority this man knows the truth. He's been right so far. We're going to listen to him. So they get rid, they, they don't even keep the boat because it's weight. They don't even keep it just in case, hey, we might need it later. When Paul says, look, if you let these guys go, you yourselves are going to die. Get rid of that boat. There's not even, there's never going to be an option again. And they actually cut away their lifeboat. Then it was about dawn and Paul kept encouraging them to take food. He says, today 
is the 14th day that you have constantly been watching and doing without eating, having taken in nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food for this is for your survival. Not a hair of your head, any of your heads will perish. So they're listening to him. They haven't eaten in 14 days. They've been scared. But man of God, who's now in charge, says, guys, be encouraged. Don't worry. Nothing's going to happen. Uh, but you need some food because, you know, we're probably going to hit land and uh, you might not eat for a few more days. So make sure to get some uh, food in your belly. So therefore, I encourage you to take some food for survival. And having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. All 276 people are surrounded by Paul in the midst of this terrible situation. They haven't eaten, and they're being encouraged themselves, and they all take food. He prays publicly, giving God the glory. He probably said, thank you for saving us all. He's thanking God in advance. I'll bet you he is in this. And then not only that, uh, they took the bread, but when they had eaten enough, they began lightening the ship and throwing the wheat out into the sea. So they actually believe everything that Paul said. Look, we're over the wheat. Just throw it off. Get rid of it. We've thrown off our personal stuff. We've gotten rid of our lifeboat. And they're doing everything. Paul is in charge and every one of them is listening to him. And when day came, but they could not recognize the land, but they did notice a bay with a beach and they resolved to turn the ship onto it if they could. And while casting off the anchors, so they've got rid of their lifeboat. Now they're getting rid of their anchors. <laughs> okay, we don't want these on the ship anymore. They, their plan is, you know, we're going there. And, you know, there's an old saying, burn your boats. Um, if you're on a mission, you don't want to have a chance to back out of it, to change your mind. It got too difficult. You burn your boat so you can't leave. That's essentially what they're doing here. They're burning their boats. And uh, they're going all in. They put up the sail. Okay, here we go. We're aiming for that beach. Looks great, but they don't quite make it to there because they hit a reef where two seas met. So uh, where two seas met, that's probably a lot more violence. Like there's some water focusing in on something. So when that happens, a lot of time the, the land and that uh, gets piled up there because the waves are constantly, so it's more shallow. And they ran across it. So they ran across a reef and the water's a bit violent. Um, and the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners. Now, remember, they just thought that every one of them is going to survive, but the soldiers, you know, they, they have a duty to do, and, uh, they don't want the captives to be set free. This is interesting, but Julius, the centurion says, no, 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 no. We have to save Paul, and therefore all of them are being saved because Paul said not a hair on anyone's head would be hurt. And so they were commanded that those who could swim, okay, if you could swim, jump now. Uh, by the way, if there's any of you listening who don't know how to swim, I don't care how old you are, go and learn how to swim. Um, the earth is covered two-thirds by water. It's probably a good idea to at least learn how to swim a little bit or float well. Uh, everyone can do it, folks. It's a misconception saying you can't. Just a little note from there. But And the rest of them, some get on some planks and some various other things, and so it happened that they were all brought safely to land, just as God said they would. But you see how God can turn any circumstances for him. Paul the prisoner became the leader. He stepped up. And these people, you know, when, when times get tough, when is the most likely time you're going to reach out to God? It's when things are really bad. 
And when things are really bad, things that you thought were important because become much less important. They probably thought at first that the grain was important. Yeah, but they dumped that. They dumped all their tackle with their own hands. They threw their own stuff off because it didn't matter if they didn't survive. What good was this stuff anyways? And in the end, they even give up the ship. They got rid of the lifeboat. They get rid of their anchors. And they're putting their faith in God. I think that's a lesson for so many storms that we navigate. Sometimes you just got to loose off that stuff that's weighing you down. Get rid of those anchors. Pray about it. Because, you know, don't be reckless with stuff. You're called to steward it. But sometimes having stuff in your life is not a good thing. Uh, if you remember from the new goggles teaching, to become a disciple of Christ really is not about adding a bunch of stuff to your life. It's about the removing of it. What do you need to throw overboard to follow God's plan? Interesting thought. Man, listen, I want to thank each and every one of you who stayed with me through this. I know there's probably like 10 minutes that the mic was off. And uh, I really, really thank each and every one of you for sticking with me here. Um, and I hope you were blessed by this. Look, the next chapter, um, other than chapter two in Acts, is uh, I think one of the, it's probably the, the second greatest chapter. Uh, Acts with the, you know, with the Holy Spirit coming and the day of Pentecost is obviously huge. But man, the lesson, the life lessons in the next chapter are really second to none. It's, it's going to be incredible. So uh, please be here next Sunday. Uh, got lots of shows coming up this week. Don't forget uh, if you're able to. Um, I have a, a, a patron, uh, that, uh, you go on a right on radio.podbean.com and you can hit support if you want to support me. Uh, I really do appreciate it. I am listener supported now and, uh, that's how I survive. And, uh, thank you. Uh, and the, one of the other ways that, uh, that we do it and it supports actually many people in the audience as well is, uh, go to switchway.com slash ROR. Look, all it is, it, uh, it's not given a sales pitch, but all it is, is look, when COVID shut down all the mom and pa stores, we wanted to go to a, a mom and pa place and support something that's very patriotic, American made, American jobs, Canadian jobs as well. Um, and all it is, is look, I found a really great store. Um, it actually might even save you money. It gets delivered to your door. I think you're, I like it. And I think you're really going to like it too. And that's all it is folks. It's just, instead of giving your dollars to the cabal, it's uh, putting your dollars. First of all, we created a Christian economy in doing it uh, throughout everyone who's participating in it. And, uh, and we're not giving our money to the cabal. We're taking away money from them. And in our collective, the, we're actually making a really big dent, uh, We've done some calculations and on a grander scale, I'm talking, you know, kind of uh, North America wide, not everyone on our team, but all teams collected. Um, we can actually achieve taking about $20 billion away from them. Yeah, we the people. $20 billion that the cabal is counting on to fund their shenanigans, we can take away from them. Do your part. Go to switchaway.com slash ROR. Thank you, everyone, for being here. May God richly bless each and every one of you. And uh, we'll see you during the week sometime. Love your God. Love your family. Love your neighbor as yourself. And make a difference in your community. <laughs>